Welcome to the Near Church Podcast. This week's message starts now. We've been doing this series called The Dove, and I don't know about you, but it has been so impactful. It has been equipping me in my walk. Um, It has been challenging some things, some ways of thinking that I've had, some constructs I've had in my mind for a long time, and it's been growing me so much already. And I have to say, I think it so beautifully leads us into what our theme for the year is, which is abundant life. We're now, what, four months into the year? And uh, it just feels like we have been taking step after step towards this abundant life that Jesus paid for and that the Bible tells us we can have access to. And I truly believe the Holy Spirit, the dove, is a key to that life. We know Jesus is the door, but we believe the Spirit is the one to lead the way in. And I believe that he's the key to living a life in union with Christ. Somebody say union with Christ. And that kind of union we've been talking about, it's been sort of this theme throughout the last couple of months, um, I'm starting to learn is only possible with the Holy Spirit. And so um, we're going to talk about that today. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's been amazing to just hear this series and start to peel back the curtain and understand the Holy Spirit for who he really is. Not just what we've been told, but who he really is and how he operates. And I think it's going to really unlock some new life for our church and for each of us individually. Are you ready for some fresh, fresh life and fresh vision in your life? Um, So I'm just going to jump straight in. And I challenge you as we talk today and as we continue through this series, Pastor Andrew sort of shared with me the direction that we're going to be headed in May, that he's going to be taking us. And uh, it's so powerful and it's so needed But I challenge you to allow yourself to let your guard down a little bit and come in with an open mind to this season because I think it's easy for us to hear these things and say, oh, that's different than what I always heard. Or, oh, maybe that's that's not how I always saw it. And, uh, And to shut down or to shut off what God is wanting to do in your life. But I don't know about you, I want everything God has for me. And I don't want even myself to stand in the way of what God has for me. So I just challenge you, let's go after it together. Can we do that today? All right, we're going to jump in the word. If I could ask you to stand with me, we're going to go to Romans 8. We like to stand in reverence of the word around here. And then I promise I'll let you sit down for a bit. I don't get to sit down. Y'all should have to stand all day, right? It's only fair. It's going to be on the screen for your convenience. We're starting with verse 12, Romans 8, 12 says this, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature or the flesh urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, say the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature or your flesh, you will live. For all who are faithful tithers, are children of God. <laughs> All who are regular attendees of church are children of God, right? <laughs> All who are serving on the dream team every week are children of God. Close. No, say it with me. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit 
when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. Today, my assignment from the Lord is this. It's probably up there. Spirit, lead me. Come on, Joe. It's beautiful. I worked really hard on it. Give it to us, Phil. And thank you. My assignment is spirit, lead me. And that's our prayer today. Let's pray together before we go to the word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to stand in this house in front of your people, Lord. This is a high honor. This is such a privilege, but it's such a, such a heavy honor, Lord, that I take seriously. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. Hide me behind the cross of Jesus, Lord. Hide me in your spirit that every word would come straight from you. Speak to our hearts. Bring new life. Bring fresh vision. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated, but on your way down, just look at somebody and say, you look good today. Come on, say, you look good today. Tell them like an old grandma, you look good today. You look good today, sugar. <laughs> As you grow up, I'm now 29 years old, the ripe old age of 29. Some of y'all can't even remember 29. As you grow up, you start to learn a lot of things in life. I remember the time I had to learn how to change a headlight in my car. Thank you, YouTube. Because that was not happening any other way than by video. I learned that you can actually put all the laundry in the same load, regardless of color. You can actually do that, yes. You may end up with some red socks and a few blue white t-shirts, but it is possible. They will get clean. Thank you, college version of me. <laughs> I had to learn that just because you can eat an entire box of cereal for dinner doesn't mean you should. Anybody been there? Nobody raised a hand. But in, some, in addition to some things I had to learn, there are also things in my life I had to relearn. For example, when I was a teenager, my mom taught me that I looked best in dress pants with pleats on the front. That is not the case for anyone in the world. If you have pleats on your pants, get some different pants, because that is not it. I love you. I love you enough to tell you no pleats in the front. My mom would disagree, but she's wrong. So this, this concept of learning and relearning has happened all through my life, but one of the biggest areas where I've had to relearn a lot of things is when it comes to my faith and my relationship with God. And it's not because anybody wanted to misguide me in my life. And it's not because I didn't have strong leadership or strong voices in my life. But it's because as humans, the things we go through, the experiences that we have, shape our perception of our reality. And they shape our perception of God and who he is. And by shape it, I mean warp it. They distort the vision of who God is. And so I grew into an adult 
and it was time to start finding my own footing, finding my own faith, having a relationship with God for myself, not based on what my parents had or what my friends had or what my family had. And I started to realize that my view of God and the way that he worked was skewed. Has anybody been there? A lot of my beliefs and my belief system were based in fear instead of love. I was motivated more for my need, more by my need for God's approval than I was by my desire for relationship and communion with him. And probably the biggest area of misunderstanding, for me at least, in my walk was the Holy Spirit. I don't know if that's anybody else, um, but it, and notice how I referred to him as an it, because that's how I thought, was this mysterious, invisible thing that I didn't fully get. Anybody else with me? And I wish I'd had a series like the dove to give me some answers back then and to show me how it really works. But eventually I came to realize that my knowledge of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit worked was so limited because my understanding of the Father was so distorted. Can we just lay some foundation this morning? Are you with me? Is this good? Okay, then buckle up because it's a lot. (laughs) So we know this. If you've been in church for about five minutes, you probably know this. Our God is a triune being, meaning he's one entity. He's one deity made up of three persons. That's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in order to understand the picture of who God is as a whole, you have to understand how the parts work individually. Now, the Son is probably the easiest part to understand because we have the person of Jesus, right? He was here in the flesh. He had a physical body. He was the, he was the embodiment of God himself who walked and talked on the earth. And we can imagine Jesus. Science has told us what he probably looks like, right? We've, seen, we've all seen some maybe accurate, maybe not so accurate paintings of white Jesus with beautiful blonde hair and blue eyes holding a lamb. You know what I'm talking about. He was probably a little darker than that. But he lived and he performed miracles here on the earth. He traded his life for our redemption right on the cross. He rose on the third day. We have this person to look to as our example to model our lives after as Christians. That's what Christian means, to become like Christ. Anybody wanna be like Christ? Yeah, me too. So we can understand and have a handle on who the son is because we have the person of Jesus. But the father is a little bit more interesting. When we start talking about our father who art in heaven, it gets a little muddy because understanding a God who is omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's not something that we can touch or feel or hold or speak directly to face to face. Faith is required to understand him and to have relationship with him. We as humans can't really fathom the fact that he existed before the universe and he will exist long after the universe. If I start to think about that, I get like a little sweaty and sick to my stomach. It stresses me out. 
Especially when I'm like, okay, then we're going to go to heaven, and that's going to be forever. And then for the first this many years, I'm going to, like, walk by the river. And then for the next thousand years, I'm going to, I don't know, what do they have? Eat cake. And then you start realizing, and then it just goes on and on and on. It blows my mind. It literally makes me sick to my stomach sometimes. And so, (laughs) I heard you. And so it's difficult to begin to understand these big concepts of who God is. Now, fortunately, we have the Bible. We have his God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired word that revealed to us his heart and his character and who he is. But things can always get in the way. Can I get an amen? There's this version. There's that denomination's interpretation. There's that theological debate. There's this scholar's opinion. There are hundreds and thousands of voices that are trying to tell you who God is in your life and how he works. Not to mention, we have a personal tendency to personify God, which is to give him human qualities, when in fact he is not anywhere near human. And so we start to believe that because this person said they were a Christian and they did that, then God must do that. Because my spouse or my loved one believed this about me, then God must believe that about me. God must say that about me. Because my earthly father or my mom did that to me, I can expect God to do the same thing to me. It's like that game where you have people line up I don't know if y'all ever seen this, but you have people line up and you put a piece of paper on each of their backs and the person in the back draws a picture and then the next person has to draw a picture based on what they felt and then the next person has to draw a picture based on what they felt until it gets to the last person. You know what I'm talking about? And the image is so completely different, it's a totally different picture. The first person drew a car and the last person drew a mouse on a beach. How's that happen? It's because some of us have allowed other voices, the people behind us that came before us, to determine what we believe in the way that we view God. Some of us see God as the mouse on the beach. (laughs) And you think that because your dad or your mom abandoned you that God's going to abandon you and he's going to give up on you. Or because somebody that said they represented God said that thing about you, that that's what he believes about you now. And so it hurt you and it messed up the the loving and kind picture of who God really is. And so the only way to get past that and to eliminate all those other voices is to cut through and get straight to the heart of that distorted image and throw off religion and pick up relationship. You have to forget about the secondhand rumors you heard about God and you have to go straight to the source, right? We have to discover him for ourselves. You have to talk to God for yourself. You have to fall in love with him for yourself. And I know what you're saying. That sounds wonderful, but how do we get there? Because that's a muddy road to walk. And sometimes it's pretty lonely trying to figure out what what does God say about me and what do people say about me? That brings us around to the third part of this trinity and what we're going to talk about today. That's all foundation. You're welcome. That's just for free. You have to be led by the Spirit. 
I said you have to be led by the Spirit. So let's go back to our text, verse 12. Throw it up there for us. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature or the flesh urges you to do. What Paul is saying here is, you don't owe your flesh anything. It never did you any good. It never caused you anything but heart, heartbreak and trouble. Yeah. It got you bound up and addicted and living in sin. That's what your flesh did. So you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature or your flesh urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But, somebody say but. but. <laughs> if you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, put to death the deeds of your sinful nature the flesh, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So let's recap here. I told you that in order to understand the Holy Spirit, you have to what? You have to know the heart of the Father, right? And in order to get to the heart of the Father, you enter through the door, which is Jesus, right? And you have to be led by the Holy Spirit. So what you're hearing is, and I know it sounds confusing, but you need the Holy Spirit to understand the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no Trinity. He's not just the lesser known cousin of Jesus or the redheaded stepchild of the family. And he's not a preference that you can take or leave. And he's not an option. He's a necessity for every believer who wants to live in union with Christ. In fact, Paul says he's so important that he's the defining quality in the life of a believer. Verse 14, look what he says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Look at your neighbor right now and say, if you want to be a child of God, you have to be led by the Spirit. Remember what we said, it don't go into church, you can sit right there in that seat and not be a child of God. You can give, you can serve, and not be led by the Spirit, and not be walking in the favor and the blessing as a son or a daughter. But the problem is there are people that want to say they're a child of God, but not act like it. People want to claim to be a child of God and not talk like it. They want to say, I'm a child of God, and then treat people however they want to treat people. They say, I'm a child of God, and then they don't show up to church for two months. Come on now. And they talk about people behind their backs, and they spend their tithes check on shoes. I'm not guilty of that. Paul said it. He said, all who are led by the Spirit. And the word led there is the Greek word ago, which literally means led. Yeah. <laughs> led. So in order to be led by the Spirit, you have to what? You have to follow. And in order to follow, you have to submit. Come on. You have to cooperate with the leader. And I'm speaking to you from a place of love today. Please know that. It's nowhere but love. I'm, a, I'm your friend. I love you. I want you to get all that God has for you. I love my church family. I love getting to do this. I love getting to lead you in worship. But I have to tell you, your mind is a powerful thing. 
when God created you, he put something in you that he didn't give to the angels. He didn't give to, to other, his other creation. He put in you a mind and a free will. You have the ability to choose where you go, what you do, who you serve. And the ultimate display of love that you can give to the Lord is to lay down your will for his. Come on, I said the ultimate display that you can give to the Lord of love is to lay down your will for his. And that's not easy. It hurts sometimes. It's hard sometimes. Because sometimes we're not pulling against that flesh that says, I want you to be addicted. I want you to try this. I want you to go here with that person and do this. Sometimes we're pulling against that flesh that says, I want to have this for my family. And God's saying, that's not my will for you. Sometimes the flesh is saying, I want to have this job because I know I can make more money. And God's saying, that's not the job I have for you. Sometimes your flesh is saying, I want to buy this house because I love it and it's beautiful and I know that we can fill it with all our family and friends. And God's saying, but I want you to be debt free in your life. Come on now. It's hard. It can be painful to lay down our will for his will. Have you ever been there? But we have to be willing to bring ourselves into a posture of submission to the Holy Spirit if we want to walk as children of God. Because that mind that God gave you is a battlefield. There is a war that's happening inside of you at all times. And it's between the flesh and the spirit. It's what I just talked about. And one is pulling you in the direction of favor and blessing and joy and peace and life. And the other is pulling you in the direction of destruction and addiction and self-harm and low self-worth and stress and anxiety and fear. That's why we need the helper. We need the Holy Spirit. Because in your own strength, you can't fight that temptation. Come on now. I said in your own strength, you can't fight the temptation. In your own strength, you can't control your tongue when you're angry. That's the truth right there for me. In your own strength, you cannot put down that habit for good. You can't keep yourself from texting that person again. Come on now. You can't be disciplined enough. But when you position yourself in the posture of submission to the Holy Spirit, when you say, not my will, but yours. Even Jesus prayed that prayer. Not my will, Lord, but yours. When you can pray that prayer and mean it, he becomes your strength. He will lead you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He will give you access to joy and peace that sustains you. Amen? Amen. So I want to tell you today, don't put all that work and the energy into fighting battles. Don't exhaust yourself. It's a losing game. Don't spend all that energy fighting your battles. Instead, put all of that energy, that focus, that time, those resources into staying in a posture of submission to the Holy Spirit. Work toward that goal. 
Use all your strength to cling to him as closely and as tightly as you can. Stay right at the side of the Holy Spirit. Plant yourself under his leading and his care. Don't let anything pull you from that place. Come on. I'm telling you this because I love you. It's something I've had to learn the hard way. We've been, Kristen and I have been learning, walking out this lesson for what, a year now of learning to stay at rest in the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean not doing anything, but that means putting that strength towards staying by his side and letting him fight our battles and co-laboring with the Holy Spirit to build your life, to build this church, to build your ministry, to build his kingdom. Come on now. I want to go back to our text, verse 15, Joe. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. This is the part of the text I really feel like the Lord is leading us to today. So I want to break it down. You have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. When I really begin to think about that part, it messes me up because... For such a big part of my life, I lived a certain way and I let fear control what I did because I was afraid of making God mad at me. I thought if I made a mistake, I thought if I misstepped, I thought if I slipped up, that God would hate me and he would be mad at me. He would be angry at me. Or even worse, I thought he would be disappointed in me. And that's something even from (laughs) when I was a kid. I can remember people saying, don't disappoint God. Don't step out of the will of God. Don't, don't, Don't upset God. Don't mess up the will of God on your life. Don't step out of the promise. And that made me so afraid. And it left me to believe that when bad things happened to me then, it was punishment. I failed, so God's punishing me. I messed up. I didn't do it right, so I guess God has to prove his point, and that's why I'm going through this. That's why I'm going through health issues. That's why I'm sick. That's why I lost this family member. That's why my marriage ended. That's why I lost this relationship. That's why I lost my job. It's because I messed up, and God's trying to teach me a lesson, or I stepped out of the will of God, and now he's trying to punish me and get me back on track. Anybody ever been there? And I lived in that posture of a fearful slave. Because what do slave owners do? They punish. They whip. They degrade. They use fear to control. And I can see so clearly this picture that Paul is painting here of people who are cowering down, afraid of a God that they believe is their master, but not their friend. So here's what Paul tells them. You haven't received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit. He adopted you as his own children. Can we just give him praise right there? Thank you, Lord, for the spirit of adoption. Because here's the thing about adoption. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter who you used to be. 
But when the adoption papers are signed, you belong to a new father and a new family. And this is a good father that we're talking about. He's a father that says, I see you in your mess. I see you in your sin. I see you in your brokenness. I see you when you're addicted and when you're lost. And I know you have abandonment issues and trust issues and you've got scars and you're carrying around a lot of shame and a lot of fear, but I'll take you. You can be my kids. You can come in my house. You can live under my banner. You can walk in my favor. I don't know if anybody has much experience with adoption in the room. I have some family experience, but personally, we haven't adopted yet. That's something we want to do someday. Maybe you were adopted or you've adopted a child, but the thing about it is once an adoption is finalized, there is no difference in that child and a biological child in the eyes of the law. Legally, they're equal. There's no difference. The adopted child has all the same rights as the biological child. Come on, you know where I'm going with this. The adopted child has access to everything that the biological child has access to, or at least it should. And when you put that in a biblical context, a little further down the chapter, Paul even says, we are joint heirs with Jesus himself. So that means if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Come on, somebody. If he can have it, I can have it. If the father loved him, he loves me because I'm a member of the family, right? To really understand the power of what Paul is saying here, you kind of have to know what adoption looked like, what it meant at the time that this was written. It blows my mind to think that they, that long ago, they already had a system in place for adopting children. That's kind of wild to me. I don't know. That seems like... (laughs) I feel like you probably just found a kid on the street and you were like, do you want to come home with me? I have bread. And they just followed you home and you gave them a name and that was it. (laughs) But it was taken really seriously. In fact, there are rulers who picked out sons to be their successor and adopted them into the family so that they would be king and they could pass their thrones on to him. So the rule at the time was that any biological parent could disown any child. That's what they called it, disowning any child for any number of reasons. It was, sadly, it was pretty easy to do. But the second part of the rule was, and hear this, once a child was adopted into the family, they could never be disowned again. Once a child was adopted into a family, they could legally never be disowned again. Jesus said on the cross, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? And he paid the price for us to be added to the family of God. And I've got great news. You will never have to say those words that he said. Aren't you grateful? Because scripture says he'll never leave us or forsake us. People might abandon you. Friends might leave you. Family can hurt you. Even if your own father and mother might abandon you, your heavenly father is never going to leave. Aren't you so grateful? Come on, I said, aren't you so grateful? So here's the thing. Not every child is going to look like the family they've been adopted into. Chances are they will look very different. 
Chris and I, we would love to adopt one day, and we don't care color, size, language. We'll take anything. <laughs> I, want, I want it to look completely different than me. Whatever baby the Lord has for me, I'll take it. Because the thing is, the child may not look like the family it belongs to, but there's another way of knowing that it's a bona fide member of the family. There must be an identifier that lets people know who your parents are, who your mama and daddy are. So what do you do? You change your last name. You might have been Susie Johnson, but you're Susie Jenkins now. Come on, somebody. It's a sign to the world that you belong somebody, to somebody. Yeah. It's the same thing that happens when you get married. I have friends who were adopted at an older age, and they could not wait to take their stepfather's last name. It's symbolic. It means something. It, it means you belong to somebody. And to that parent, it means I'm all yours. Yeah. It means you're family, truly family. So I would be so bold to say that if God had a last name, it would be the Holy Spirit. Because when you become a child of God, his spirit becomes the thing that identifies you. In fact, I want to look back. I don't have it up there, but I want to look back at the text that Pastor Andrew spoke about last week when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And the heavens opened, and we know the story. The dove, the Holy Spirit descended, and a voice came from heaven and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And the part just after this is what John the Baptist says. I love this. He said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. And this is John the Baptist who literally leapt in his mother's womb whenever Mary was pregnant with Jesus and came to see her. He said, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. The dove identified Jesus as the Son of God, and it will identify you and me as a son and a daughter too. People will know you're a child of God because you're submitted to and led by the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, I wanna be known as the one on whom the dove rests. Any, I, just, I, I want people to know who I am because I bear his spirit and his spirit bears fruit in me. Come on, I want people to say he's full of love. He's got so much joy. He walks in peace. He approaches everything with patience. He treats everybody with kindness. He exudes goodness. He's so faithful. He's gentle. He has plenty of self-control. Come on, these are the fruits of the Spirit at work in our lives. The Spirit is what empowers us to become like Jesus. What a beautiful thing. What a partner to walk through life with. What a helper to lead and guide us. Aren't you grateful? Kristen, if you'll come. The very last part of this verse is what I want to leave you with just quickly. I know this hasn't been very long, or maybe it has. It hasn't felt long to me, but I appreciate you for sticking with me. Verse 15. So if you've not received a spirit, that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you 
as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. I've always heard this term, Abba, used to represent intimate relationship. All my life, people have said, oh, Abba means daddy, (laughs) daddy God. It represents a relationship like between a father and a young child. And that's partly true, but it's, there's actually more to it than that. I was reading a commentary just preparing for today um, by this man. He had gone on a trip to Israel and he had gone into a public restroom. And when he was on his way out, he saw a father and a son washing their hands. And he heard the father teaching his son. And he said, when I ask you to do something, I want you to call me Abba. Because Abba doesn't just mean dad. It's a sign of intimacy and obedience. It's almost like saying yes, sir, to somebody that you love. It represents a type of relationship with the father that not only says, I love you, but I love you enough to obey you. I submit to you. Because how many know there's a big difference between the way a son serves their father and a slave serves their master? Slaves ask what else is required and a son asks what else can I do for you? Slaves perform their duties. Sons perform acts of love. Slaves are motivated by fear and punishment, but sons and daughters are motivated by love of relationship. Hey, listener, thanks for tuning in to the Near Church Podcast. You can give online, fill out a virtual connection card, plan your visit, and more by texting the words Near Church to 94000 or by visiting us online at www.nearchurch.co.